the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Our uh, passages today, especially the, the, the reading from Philippians and um, the Gospel, is point out this, this reality of, of looking towards the death of Jesus as well as as well as the the faith not only that comes from it but the undoing of the law and and other aspects of, of what it is to live according to the flesh of, of um, sort of who we are um, in our genealogy or whatever versus versus the righteousness that we have in faith um, We'll start with the gospel lesson. That that really is um, one of those passages that that hits um, the that uh, thou shalt not be tacky um, thing that's very popular in the Episcopal Church. Right, we have our own eleventh commandment: thou shalt not be tacky. And Mary breaks it here, right? In in one of those, it's almost like those movies. You know, all those, every, every rom-com, most every other movie, they all have that, that terribly uncomfortable, frustrating scene that seems to be thrown in there for no good reason other than to make the viewer uncomfortable with that sense of conflict that now we have to wait for it to be resolved because the misunderstanding that was said here and there and all that. And so this is what we have. Right? We have Lazarus um, being raised from the dead. Um, last chapter, and so now there's a big party, right, for for Lazarus and anybody else who wants to come because, hey, Lazarus is alive, let's have a party, and Martha is serving, right, because that's what Martha does, and Mary has to be Mary, right, she can't just, she can't just be content, before she sat at Jesus' feet, uh, listening to Martha's, now Mary breaks open the perfume and just starts pouring it all over Jesus' feet and wiping it with her hair, which means she lets down her hair in front of mixed company, which is sort of akin to like sort of hiking up your skirts and sort of wiping it. Not really something you do in public, therefore tacky. And everybody, even though in this, in this situation, Judas is the one who makes the comment, Judas taps into his inner Peter, Remember Peter, you know, Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth everywhere. Now Judas is the one who's, who's saying it. And, but pretty much they all are thinking it, right? This is like, what is she doing? Even if he doesn't say things like, He's, you should give this money to the poor, they're, they're pretty much just going, this is very awkward, right? This is, Pretty awkward situation watching watching this unfold as we're as we're eating dinner. And Jesus says, "Leave her alone." Right? This 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 event occurs in all of the Gospels. Um, Matthew and Mark had it after Palm Sunday, um, and don't mention who it is. Luke has it way early at a Pharisee's house. It seems to be sort of a different type of event. 
Um, John's the only one who names it and has it before um, Palm Sunday, but really, really, it, it, it also fits into, into what's happening in this theme, even, even in, in prophetic pronouncement. Because right before this, there's the plot, all the Pharisees are sort of gathering, the priests gathering of, of how to kill Jesus because of raising Lazarus from the dead. And um, this guy needs to die. And all these people are following him. Caiaphas says, it's good for one man to die for the, sin, for the nation rather than for the whole nation to suffer. Not that he knew what he was saying, right? He did not say this on his own accord, but being high priest that year, prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, but not for the nation only, but all to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And right after that, Mary anoints his feet, and Jesus says, it's appropriate that she does this, as she's preparing for my burial. It's right that she should have preserved this for my burial. So there's, there's two sort of prophetic pronouncements right here, um, back to back, of, of the death of Jesus. The death that he's, he's going to die. And indeed, in John's Gospel, all the way through, he says, my hour's not yet come. Right? When Mary goes to Mary's mother, not Mary, this Mary, lots of Marys. Um, Mary's mother says, um, they've run out of wine at the wedding. Jesus says, woman, what's that got to do with me? My hour is not yet come. And when his brothers say other things later, he says, my hour is not yet come. And all through John's Gospel, my hour is not yet come. And then almost as soon as this passage is over, the very next day we have Palm Sunday, and right after that he says, my hour's come. Right? This is, everything is sort of leading up to this point. The hour has come, and the hour, of course, in, in, in John's Gospel is the crucifixion, followed by, obviously, the resurrection, the ascension, sending the Spirit, all those things. And even though we're only in chapter 12, um, of, of John's Gospel, chapters 13 to, to 17 are all the, 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 that sort of last Passover dinner, right, where Jesus washes the feet of the disciple. Jesus begins to proclaim um, all the various things. Um, I'm the vine, you're the branches. It's good that I go away because I'm sending the counselor. That final discourse prayer of, of I and the Father are one, please, O oh Lord, give my disciples strength. You know, keep them safe from the world. All that happens in, in a very short time. All right after this passage, which leads immediately to next week of the, of the triumphal entry of Jesus. And so this really is the setting of the scene. Not only the setting of the scene for, for the worship and adoration of Jesus that Mary has, has put on, which, which again is sort of in, in John's theme, abundance, right? Basically, Mary has, has poured um, a year's worth of salary for the average day laborer, right? A denarius is, is, what, is what the person made um, working each day, and 300 denarii are a year's labor because they don't work on the Sabbath day, so take all those Sundays out, so six times 50 is 300. So it's, you know, it's right there. It's really 
give or take, a year's wages have been poured out. Um, and Jesus says that, that thing that actually, um, as, we were in the, as we were in the narthex, Steve Payson says, the poor you'll always have with you. Right? Jesus says, the poor you'll always have with you. Um, it's still more about more than that. It's about the compassion. It's about the worship, not only the compassion to, to people, but the worship and adoration of, of God as well. So, um, Jesus, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing, right? Um, Judas, so not only is it the foreshadowing of this death of Jesus for him, it's the foreshadowing of the betrayal of Judas as well, who's more interested, not really in giving to the poor, but more interested in, in this sort of, of, of being religious, right? Because really, the cross, the cross is not religious. But this is really one of the things that's underneath all of this that we forget because even though we have our crosses veiled, sort of, um, during Lent or draped to sort of shield us from that, they're, they're, they're not shiny things. They're things that we put around our neck. They're these aspects of what in reality crosses not only, not only an instrument of shameful death and torture. It's reserved for sort of the lowest of the low. And in, in many ways, it's just they're basically there to say, you have no value. You're worth nothing. It's like lynching of the day, and you're kept up there for a long time so that everybody who passes by knows you're not anything. And as Jesus continues to say all through his ministry, this is how he's going to die. It's, it's vital that the Son of Man be turned over and crucified. This is not just shocking. It's not religious. Right? It's not, certainly not how the Messiah is going to come, but it's not even how normal religious people will act. It's, it's ridiculous. And Paul talks about this continuously in all of the letters when he continues to say, talk about the enemies of the cross and talk about um, being, being one with Christ crucified. It's over and over and over again to sort of counteract the, the, the worldly myth of of Roman gods, of course, are immortal. Nothing like this would ever happen to a Roman god, but our god has come to give himself up to death. And not just death, but shameful death. And so Paul, again, says to the Philippians today, rejoice, Right? He keeps saying that all through Philippians, that's the word. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. It's in there a whole bunch of times. Rejoice. Rejoice that you have this faith. Rejoice that you, you can follow in the, the cross. Rejoice that he's, that he's suffered this death for, for the sins of the whole world. Rejoice indeed. Um, and Paul says, don't, we sort of skipped a couple verses today, the couple verses that we skipped um, 
in this passage are about you know you, no longer no longer do you need to follow the Judaizers. Remember, those are the ones who said you still need to be circumcised. We have Jesus, but right, we have Jesus, but we still have the law of Abraham. And Paul keeps saying, no, we have Jesus and Him crucified and raised to life and the Spirit coming to us. That's what we have. We don't need all these other things. And if these other things were important, let me tell you, nobody would say they're more important than me because I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as to the law, righteous, persecutor of the church. Anybody's got the qualifications, I've got the qualifications. And I'm telling you these qualifications mean crap. We say rubbish in the Bible because we're all nice, and actually crapsy, we're probably a little bit nicer than the word that he used. But this is the church. And we'll tone it down a little bit. We, Mary's already been tacky. We don't have to get more tacky by adding vulgarities. Paul says none of this means anything compared to what it is to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We have a God who comes to us. And this is, this is what this, this passage in John's Gospel, as well as in, in this, is, is in this really awkward, uncomfortable reality of Mary doing this at a dinner party isn't even close to the awkward, uncomfortable reality of a God who's come to us and is willing to shame himself before the world and allow the powers of this world to do this thing to him for us. All we who pass by and see this sight. And yet, in order to defeat those powers of sin and death in all Paul's letters and in most of the Gospels, those sins aren't those little things that we do when we say for the sins of the world. It's not for your sins necessarily, although it is also. But it's those that sin, capital S, that D, capital death, those powers, capital P, for the world, capital W, those those things of evil that exist that seek to trample down humanity, that seek to trample down anything that doesn't follow the status quo. And God has come to dispel all of that, to bring us to new life and new hope, new love and new joy indeed that we might worship in the way that Mary worships not worrying about being tacky, which is an outflowing of love and blessing and grace. As we enter into Holy Week next week and following, we enter into that place of, of seeking to draw closer and nearer to the God who loves us in this most powerful way, this most glorious way, and, and draw near that glory 
all the other things in our life we can count as rubbish as compared to knowing Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and sending the Spirit for us. Amen.